Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on, man? Dateline Sacramento. Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not to catch a predator. <laughs> oh, that, no, that would be in Seattle with Chris Hansen. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, all right, Aaron. So let's just touch base on a couple of business items. Uh, first and foremost, apologies. Last week, uh, Aaron and I actually recorded a podcast. We had some technical difficulties after the podcast was recorded, which uh, limited my ability to release said podcast. And so... For all of you faithful listeners, we apologize. It's very, very seldom that we go without a podcast, especially in the middle of the season, but uh, it just kind of worked out that way. So uh, let's get to it. We got so much news. It, it's ridiculous. Um, I, we got to start with the DeMarcus Cousins situation. We're, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, which happy Isaiah Thomas Day to Aaron Bruski. Hmm. Um so that's, a, uh, but, but we've got DeMarcus That's Cousins. all I got for you on that is, huh. huh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so DeMarcus suspended and he picked up his 16th technical. And uh, to be honest with you, both the technicals that he picked up in that game, uh, I believe are warranted. Although one of them uh, has some debate issues to it, which we'll go over. Um, but he's the fastest player since they they changed the the ruling to a 16 technical system and, and then suspension. He's the fastest person ever by almost a month. Uh, I think it was Dwight Howard who who got in trouble on March 5th and got his 16 tech in the suspension. But this is a, a bad deal for the Sacramento Kings because they're already depleted, they're already beat up, and now they go in against Boston, Isaiah Thomas, who is playing out of his mind. Uh, the team has won seven straight, they're only two and a half games out of the top spot in the Eastern Conference. They're tracking down LeBron James and his uh, chaotic group like every single day. So, Aaron, what's your initial reaction to the suspension and sort of how things have played out here? My initial reaction was not necessarily a surprise um, because you could see this building up. Uh, I have a lot of initial reactions. I'm sure everybody's had is, you know, he can't do this. This is bad. Uh, he's giving his the people that, that, you know, want him in the media to, to leave. He's giving them ammo. People that want to further the narrative that, you know, DeMarcus Cousins has these problems. He's giving them the ammo. Uh, so all that kind of obvious stuff, you know, that's all there. But Watching the way that this Kings team has played, I think the the salient point for them is how are they being positioned for success? Because I almost look at the DeMarcus Cousins issue with referees, an issue with temperament on the floor, 
as as one of primary importance for the Kings. They're not going to go away from DeMarcus Cousins. They're not going to trade him. They're not going to not uh, re-sign him or extend him. The um, they they're hitched at the they're tied at the hip to him. And how are you then? If you want to call it rehabilitation, you could call it rehabilitation. How are you rehabilitating him on the floor with regard to referees? And what are his triggers? Losing is a big one. Obviously, the calls themselves are big ones. But but those are almost um, th- those are the effects, not the illness. So losing, though, is is the thing that really starts to, to create a snowball effect with him. And I look at how this team is organized, and I don't know at this point if it's the chicken, the egg, if it's Dave Yeager, if it's DeMarcus Cousins. But there is such a clear delineation between when they play smart and they put him in the post and they limit the decisions that he has to make with the ball and limit the number of dribbles that he has to take. When they do that, they play well. When they don't do that, they look like a clown show at times. You know, they, they, they cannot run simple offense. And so for me, looking at this, I ask myself, you know, if you want DeMarcus Cousins to, to get through some of this stuff, are, are you telling him to take those outside shots? Are you telling him to do that stuff? Or, you know, is he doing it on his own because that's the way he prefers to play the game? So that's the big thing that I'm looking at with this situation. Okay, so I think we need to delve into a little bit of this, and I'll give some people some background. Um, so here's a, the real kicker that, that I think is a shame. It's that DeMarcus Cousins met with league officials last week and had some really good conversations, from what I know. And uh, those conversations include Kiki Vandaway and uh, Bob Delaney, the, the head of officiating, where they went through game t- game film and actually saw what's you know sort of getting under DeMarcus skin where he's getting fouled repeatedly and not getting calls from what I know the officiating the lead official in the league agreed with him on many points and said look I I don't have answers for you as to why you don't get this call and someone else does get this call and you know it's something that we're gonna have to look at further we're gonna watch more film and then on top of that the league was also in the midst of reviewing his other technical fouls because that has been a point of contention as well that like, look, I, in all honesty, DeMarcus Cousins has been much better this season about not yelling at the officials. He still does it. I'm not saying that's not true. What I'm saying is that he's been better. He's gotten progressively better over the course of his career. And that doesn't stop him from getting all kinds of technicals. Now, some technicals he completely, completely deserves, and and there's no excuse. But there's other technicals that he doesn't deserve. And, you know, like the, the prime example is the OKC game where he went in and scored on Enos Kanter and got an and one, and Enos Kanter started talking a bunch of trash, and DeMarcus didn't say anything and walked to the free throw line. And then while he's standing at the free throw line, he may have said something back to Cantor and Cantor's, you know. So anyway, the official walks up and says, I don't want to hear another word from you two or I'm going to hit you with a tech. So Cousins said, he's standing at the free throw line and Russell Westbrook comes around the other side and says something to him and he says something back to Russell, nothing like about to incite violence, but he gets hit with a, with a tech. And it's like... It's like a teacher in the old olden days slapping you with a ruler. 
But each one of these situations, if it was anyone else, would he be called for a tech? And so the league was looking at all of these other technical fouls. And there's a bunch of them that are very, very suspect. I mean, or, you know, the Myers Leonard thing where he has a, he has an issue with pinching people and we're hearing that. And, and like, that was something that, you know, cousin said, you know, look, we got an issue here or, you know, there's all kinds of other issues. And each of these were going to be examined and then looked at as to whether or not, you know, a possible recension or not. And, you know, he's already had three texts rescinded this season and there was a good possibility that he might have had two or three more. But then when you force the league's hand and you pick up two technical fouls and just to look at, you know, Aaron, I, you know, the first technical foul that he got in that game, <sighs> number one, the league needs to look at it closer because Jim Borland actually initiated contact with DeMarcus and needs to be hit with fines as well. Um you know, you can go back and watch the tape and actually Bolin looks at Cousins and then shoves him off with his hand and then Cousins takes two hands and pushes his arm away and they go back and they have Cousins attack for for making contact with an assistant coach. But there was no reason for Bolin to be in that situation anyways. He put himself in the situation. He initiated contact. That situation got out of control and really that's the one where I kind of go, you know, you can't push anyone so you're going to get called for it. But at the same time, there were some reasons. Now, Cousins had every opportunity on that specific call to go from the right baseline in the corner where him and Tosh Gibson had, you know, basically had a play that didn't go Tosh Gibson's way and he went over and got himself a technical. And then Cousins, all he had to do was walk to his bench. If you know geometry, there's there's actually a line that went straight to the bench and then a line that went straight to the the Bulls bench. He chose the the left line of the triangle, not the right line of the triangle, which put him in harm's way. Matt Barnes also got himself in that situation and also drew Cousins into that situation because all of a sudden Cousins was coming to the aid of Barnes, who was in trouble. Um, so so that's. But my point is, he he gets in this situation where that's number fifteen. And then number 16, where he yells profanity into the air and, and you know, clearly shows a demonstrative move, you're going to get called for that. And, and so I look at those two and it's like, okay, 15 and 16, probably both well-deserved, although there's some communication that could happen on number 15. But when you take it out of the league's hands and all of a sudden you're at 16, they can't go back and remove three from two weeks ago and say, oh, we're going to take these into consideration. Because now the problem that you have is a, a transparency issue. And the Boston Celtics will raise their hands up and say, wait a sec. We don't, we're not supposed to play against this guy. We're going to file a protest and play this under protest. You can't have this guy on the court because he should be suspended for 16 techs. And you're going back and changing the rules. So Cousins took away the NBA's ability to have any leeway on this. And that's unfortunate. And he's picked up three in what the last in the last two games. And so boom, boom, boom. The NBA doesn't even have time to react. They don't even have time to kind of continue that discussion that they had started last week when they had a meeting about it. So I'm going to unpack that. And and the, the key things that I'm hearing in there are there's a pattern of technicals being called against Demarcus that may or may not be fair. And then I'm going to unpack that. There are plenty of technicals that are fair, 
mm-hmm. we're going to unpack in that that you make you you have to lie in the bed you make. I mean, he is creating this dynamic with referees. He's done it over the sort over the course of the uh, entire um, you know into his entire career. So um, you know, I don't think that he should really be focusing on that. I think we all can agree on that. Mm-hmm. And and then you get to the salient point, I believe, which is the presence of one Matt Barnes. And <laughs> it's it, it's unfortunate because DeMarcus carries Matt Barnes in, in very high respect. And the one thing that you've noticed, there are a couple players that handle things in different ways. You know, when Matt Barnes got uh, one of his technicals, it was uh, one of his crucial technicals he was asked after the game and basically he said two different things one is that it shouldn't happen but then two was a continued bemoaning of the fact that they're getting treated unfairly and that to me indicated that he wasn't taking responsibility for the situation that they're in I mean it's one thing to complain about the situation that you're in but it's a a complete other thing to take responsibility and say, okay, we're in it no matter what we, okay. So how do we get out of this? And the continued arguing is not going to help. And then you contrast that with players like Garrett Temple and Anthony Tolliver and Ty Lawson who have conversations with referees and even show their displeasure with referees on the floor. And this, this strikes at the heart of what DeMarcus sees and it's all circular, but he sees other players having these conversations with referees but he does not recognize that in the past when he has done it, he has not built the credibility with the referees to be able to have those conversations, mostly because a lot of times he doesn't understand what a foul is. And this is not just him. Most NBA players do not understand what a foul is. Um, But when you lose the credibility and when you lose your decorum, as he has throughout his career, you, you lose the ability to have the conversation that a Garrett Temple has with the referee. But, Again, back to the salient point here, this team has been kind of characterized, if you will, by its its main contributors. One of them is is Matt Barnes. When Matt Barnes has um, when he plays a clean game, you know that that's good for the Kings. When he plays a sloppy game, one where his you know emotions take over, where he makes you know these kind of critical plays, bad critical plays late when he when he when he doesn't defend his guy when he commits bad fouls you know when he doesn't clean up the glass these are the types of things that you know permeate the entire team but on the issue of DeMarcus Cousins and how he handles the refs and situations and the anger management and all of that you have to look at this one piece and say if this is a team leader how is that team leader leading and and is it we are dealing with the bad in order to get some of the good from Matt Barnes because he can speak to Marcus's language. We're putting him on the floor because we want him to 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 maintain that position of credibility in the locker room with DeMarcus Cousins. Is DeMarcus Cousins wanting Matt Barnes to play? Is that also contributing to the product that you're seeing on the floor? And then finally, what becomes most important is back to how this offense gets deployed because not only does DeMarcus Cousins stand out there on the perimeter and not get to the point, which is get 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 down in the post create a double team score and 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 it's real simple but Matt Barnes does the same stuff too he's out there with this you know you have a choice you could go to your best big man in the NBA and and make things very difficult for the defense or you could settle for whatever other player is going to take whatever other shot 
and and off of whatever other action that's not effective. And every single time that happens, the opposing coach, like you could probably see them fist pumping on the sideline because they know they just got bailed out. But you put this all into a box and you got yourself the Sacramento Kings right now. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to go back to one other point with DeMarcus, it, it's sort of a personality trait of his that that I've noticed, you know, again, I've covered him for seven years. I, I've watched every game. I've been in the locker room, all but two home games ever of his entire stint in the NBA. And uh, and even that was, I don't know, like six years ago. I, I I missed two games, one to go to a Board of Governors meeting and one to go to uh, um, Sloan Conference in in Boston. And my understanding of him, like spending the time that I have with him, is he wants to be judged on what's happening right now. Not what happened when he was 19, not what happened when he was 21, not what happened when he was 23. He wants to be judged on today. And I think if you're if you allow him that, then you can have a relationship with him and and you can actually like kind of grow. I mean, there are times where you have to go back and and look at what's happened in the past and, and try to put some sort of structure into a piece. But if you understand that it can't just all be about what he did before and it's more about what he's doing now, then it might make people understand him a little bit better when he doesn't get that same exact understanding with the officials. He's built a reputation with the officials. They don't see him every single day. They see him once every three weeks, four weeks. I mean, just depends on the rotation of the officials, whatever. So my point is that he wants to be known as DeMarcus Cousins' three-time All-Star. He wants to be known as the best big man in the game. He wants to be known for how good he is today and that he's gotten better. But no one is... Nobody, nobody has to hit the reset button and give him another opportunity. And I, I just think he comes in thinking that, like, look, at some point you have to, like, respect how good I am and what I've done uh, as in, in the positive sense, and you need to give me a second shot. But I don't know that he goes and reaches out and says, look, can we have a conversation beforehand? And just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, It's just really difficult to watch because he has he has improved. He has gotten so much better. I mean... Even Fred Hoiberg talking yesterday to media before the game, he literally said that, well, it was that on Monday. He said that, uh, he said, DeMarcus, I think, is is one of, if not the best player in the NBA. And one of their media go, wait, 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 you mean big man? He goes, no. He's like, do you see what he can do at his size? He's one of the best players in the game. Like, that's, if not that, the best. That's like, my point. My point with all this stuff to jump in here is opposing coaches are so like when they play the Kings, they just that all they see is him going down to the block and, and racking up six fouls on each of their big men. Yeah. And not being able to stop him like that's what they see, because that's what you should be afraid of. If you're coaching against the Kings and you have Taj Gibson as the guy that's supposed to defend him. You know, Taj Gibson should be putting a body bag after the game, you know, and playing 16 minutes the way that Shaquille O'Neal used to do, you know, to other players. And, and, and Cousins has that type of size. 
I mean, and, and he has way more skill than Shaq ever had as far as, oh, yeah. you know, up yeah. and unders and the ability to finish and the ability to make free throw, all this stuff. Like, they 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 they, they completely fear this guy. And then he goes out there and he st- sits at the elbow and he surveys the floor like he's Nikola Jokic. And he, he's not Nikola, Nikola Jokic. He's, you know, he he dribbles into to places with no advantage whatsoever. And, and the Kings offense stagnates. He gets frustrated. The whole team gets frustrated. They don't see the ball go through the hoop, so their defense starts to slip. And it's this big, easy-to-see train wreck that just starts happening. But what happens is they go and they play the Cavs, and they go, well, what's our best chance of winning? Well, it's DeMarcus in the post. So we're going to go to DeMarcus in the post. And and it starts to click. And, and then they get out of their lane. You know, they play the Suns, and they're like, well – you know, I, I can dribble the ball, so I'm just going to go, you know, I'm going to try my crossover dribble and, and see how it works. And, and it doesn't work. And then you know, rinse, lather, repeat this stuff just kind of continually snowballs and, and you get the Kings, which is this up and down team. They have the talent with one player that can change a game and, and can completely turn what looks like a train wreck into a win against a Warriors, which, by the way, the, the Kings played terribly in that game. And they still beat that team, and that's just crazy on its face. The but, Warriors you know, game, I mean, we'll, we'll discuss this, but I mean, the, the strangest stat to me ever: the Warriors never led by more than seven, and the Kings never led by more than eight. That game just stayed around. You know, I told Doug Christie in the first in the first quarter, I said, "You know what? The Warriors are just playing cat and mouse. They put in a lineup that was just like, oh God, what is this?" And I, I said, they're just playing cat and mouse. I said, but, you know, every once in a while, a, mice, a mouse just decides to bite a cat right on the nose, and it hurts. And, and we were laughing about it, and you saw a building. And the whole time, it, it's weird. Like, when you're sitting in the arena and you're watching games, I just, I know this sounds really strange for someone to say, but I just assumed the entire game, all the way up until the Devin Booker's ball dropped through the net, that the Kings were going to win that game. <laughs> I did. I, I had written it. I had to go back and rewrite it. I mean, I'm missing half of the press conference with Jaeger or the whole thing, half of these games, because you can't get down in time uh, when you have to change your lead the entire every other game. So the it, the entire Suns game, I'm thinking, man, they're going to lose. They're going to win this game. They're like, this is just ridiculous. They're better than the Suns. The Suns aren't even playing well. The only one that can do anything is Booker. They're doing what they have to do. It's not pretty, but they're going to win. And then they lose. And then the next night, the absolute opposite. I thought, okay, well, this is fun. The fans are getting a good show, but they're going to lose. You know, someone's going to hit a shot and it's going to break their back. And then Steve Kerr goes berserk. Steph hits a three. Clay hits a three. King's five-point lead is now a one-point deficit. You're like, oh, game over. Like, I even started writing in my you know, the the moment of the game, the, you know, the shift that happens. Oh, all right, this is when it happened. And then all of a sudden, here they come. Don't, 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 you know, and you're like, this team is so unpredictable. They There is no rhyme or reason to anything that goes on with this team at all. And, yeah, but that's what happens when you have the most mercurial player in the league. Well, it and... also, it's what happens when you don't have much talent outside of that. I mean, in all honesty. See, but you know what? I feel like this is a, the, the biggest cop out in the world for for people to to throw that the Kings are struggling because there's not that much talent on this team. 
when they play sound basketball, the, the, the talent is there. They, they, they can compete with almost anybody. You know, I wouldn't put them in a competitive state with the elites, but, you know, any of the non-elites, you know, they can compete and they have all year. And, and when you look at what they're deploying, this is a, I mean, if, 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 if this was George Crawl, I think people would be screaming at the top of rooftops, but like they're deploying stuff that, you know, it doesn't pass the sniff test. It, it's, it's a system-based offense where the system pieces are not like DeMarcus Cousins is not Marcus Gasol. He, he will be Marcus Gasol one day when he can initiate the tempo of an offense that constantly takes what the defense is presenting the offense when it, when he's taking the best option and he's exposing that consistently, then he will be Marc Gasol and he can operate out of the high post with some consistency. Until then, that offense is not ideal. And then starting him next to Costa Kufos is not ideal. Tyson Chandler literally played his own the yep. entire time. The entire and time. There is no justification for that whatsoever other than it's my system and it's going to be here next year and somebody else might not be here next year. And in that case, we'll find the player that will be here next year and we'll plug him into my system. And we're not changing that system no matter what. And I don't think it really is about wins and losses this year right now at the coaching level. I mean, he can say that it is, but he's also Dave Yeager has said that he's downplayed expectations for this team constantly. And coaches are, are wise to do that. And in many cases, it's actually good that they do do that because you then work towards development and things of that nature. But, but he's not knowing, doing that. But that's the, that's the thing. There's, there's young kids that are currently playing better than veterans. But it all backs into the question of DeMarcus. Is Matt Barnes, who kind of represents the, the bad direction that DeMarcus Cousins goes, you know, with the arguing with the refs and, you know, the issues. I mean, Matt Barnes walked by, to go back to your previous points about uh, Jim Dolan, or probably um, Jim Boylan, Dolan. Uh, but Boylan is Matt Barnes instigated that. This reminded me of Rondo clapping at the refs at the end of last year. I don't know if did he instigate it because Taj Gibson went over and went nuts and then got a tech. And, All and, I, I mean, know that's like there was some heated moments there, and I think that's you just you just need to let them implode. Yeah, but okay, but if you're Matt Barnes, here's my question. Here's my question: If you're Matt Barnes and you know that you, the, the 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 meal ticket for this city franchise if you will, has issues staying focused in games and, and keeping himself on the floor by not getting technicals. If you know this and you're Matt Barnes, why take it to the next level? I don't care if, if, if the coach came out there and said something about your mother. You know, okay, great, that's fine. After the game, we might have a conversation about that. But in this game right here, we got to keep the big guy focused. And getting heated is not going to help that and look at what happened he got a technical and this stuff is it's not just an isolated incident it's been happening all year you, you you've got the the players that were brought in by vlade you know and, and ken catanella that represent the positive direction that the sacramento kings franchise should go mm -hmm. right garrett temple anthony tolliver to a man and, and the funny thing with tolliver is he actually fits next to cousins even though he struggles that's another story. But, you know, these are the guys that you want cousins listening to and, and developing habits based on the, the other side. The Matt Barnes is who cousins wanted to bring in, who, who's a Dave Yeager guy. 
and is currently pulling Cousins away from doing what he should be doing. So these two opposing forces, to me, are fascinating. Um, and as far as assessing this team, I just can't get past if we're, you know, if we're really talking about how this team should be doing, they've been in 30 some odd close games and yes, lost they have. Like 25 of them. <laughs> and in the midst of those games, they're doing stuff that's not defensible from a basketball perspective. Yeah, but this is what bad teams do. And I, I know people like don't get offended by that, but I mean, the Kings are 20 and 32. And there's a good chance they're going to be 20 and 33 after they play the the, the Celtics. The the conversation completely changes if five of those games are wins. Oh, no, it does. It It, does. And and then they're not a bad team anymore. And you are what your record is. Don't get me wrong. But look, I could go back to last season when the Kings finished with 33 wins. And how many wins got into the playoffs? What is it? Oh, last year? 41? 40? Something like that, yeah. 42? Okay, so let's just look at the George Carl era and say, could they have won that many games? And the fact is, yes, they, they finished the season with cousins and Rondo taking like every other, I think cousins missed six for rest and Rondo missed like nine for rest. I mean, even though the season was over, they still could have picked up four wins and had been, been at 37. And then you go back to the same thing that we always, if they only wouldn't, if they wouldn't lost a double overtime game to Charlotte, if they wouldn't lost this, that's the problem, though. You we can't keep you, you, cherry picking and saying, yeah, you know, Orlando, you. Miami twice, New, the the Knicks, um, the Suns, the Seventy This is this is why I wonder though if it's Demarcus driving this the the, the deployment issue of how he is deployed because it was it was happening under Carl. Carl wanted him out there. He wanted him behind the three point line to space the floor. And the other, I mean, the thing that's kind of mind numbing about this is who are you even spacing the floor for on this team? Yeah. But now, you know, you're still seeing it under Jaeger. So is this a DeMarcus Cousins prefers to play outside of the paint and and out on the perimeter? And and that's why this is happening? Or is it, again, this is Dave Jaeger's system and that's the way it's going to be? Because that, to me, you put him on the post probably win 10 more games. I mean, that's that's the level of kind of craziness with the way this team gets deployed that it makes it to me as, a, as somebody that analyzes all 30 teams and, and I've done this now for 10 years, you don't see this stuff anywhere else. They generally speaking run the right stuff, you know, for the most part. In this case, they're not doing that. It makes it incredibly hard to have a conversation about them. You know what? Even uh, I'll point this out too. Like, I have fans get frustrated about, you know, Cousins making mistakes down the stretch. And um, there was a, a three-point shot that Cousins hit in the the Bulls game that he was clearly fouled and no call at all. And that started the – this set him off. That's, oh, yeah. That's what started sort of the, the thing happening down the stretch. And then Matt Barnes uh, throws the ball to, to Dwayne Wade. And again, um, Cousins claims – that Wade grabbed his jersey and pulled himself through to get that ball. He did. Uh, yeah, and, and he did. And so so there's another complaint that, that Cousins has where he feels like the officials aren't doing what he thinks should happen. But then where he gets angry is on a play where he doesn't get fouled on a three-point attempt. And this is, what, the third game this season where a game basically has ended on DeMarcus trying to pump fake uh, and get a foul on a three-point attempt. I know Horford did it the last time, 
these two, the the Kings and the Celtics played. So, I mean, again, I'm not going to harp on Dave Yeager like 100% and say, hey, it's all your fault, it's all your fault. I mean, the deck he's been dealt is not great. The hand that he's been dealt is not great. Uh, and the injuries that have piled up are, I mean, it's numbing at this point. And, you know, whether he was going to use Omri Caspi or not, Omri really, really could have helped this team once Rudy Gay went down. And losing him at that point was huge because then you have a little bit of a resurgence from Aaron Flalo, but then he's fallen off again too. And so Caspi would have brought a more consistent effort, some energy, some things like that that I think would have helped this team. And the funny thing is Caspi told us yesterday at, at, uh, at practice that the day he got hurt, Jaeger and him and actually had a sit down that morning and Jaeger told him he was about to start playing a bunch more and they were going to start transitioning and using him a bunch more. And so he went out and tried to push off too hard in practice and, and hurt his calf, strained something in his calf, which, again, he had been wearing a sleeve on his calf for like a week and a half. Um, but now, you know, this thing just kind of unraveled. And when you're going out there and people are begging for Malachi Richardson to play while Ben McLemore's got 16 points in the first half, it, it's tough. You know, like uh, there are people on Twitter try to, oh, you need to go at Dave Yeager about why he's doing this or that. And it's like, I don't think you get it. People, first of all, we talk to Dave Yeager about a whole lot of things. And we talk a lot, you know, that that doesn't get publicized because he doesn't answer the questions that we ask. And he's not going to. And he's going to coach his team the way he wants to coach it. He's not going to do, it doesn't matter how many times we ask him, about Costa Kufis and Demarcus Cousins starting alongside each other, he's not giving us an answer that that is something that we can publish, and because it, it's it it's not that he's not being truthful; it's that his vision of what's happening and my vision of what's happening are different, and that's his vision. It's his team, and so look, there are these issues that the that the Kings need to work out. I, I'm not saying that Jaeger has been perfect or that he's a complete, you know, he has no idea what he's doing, but this team doesn't have a lot of options. And, you know, people who want to see Willie Cauley-Stein play way more minutes, I, I hate to tell you this, but if Ty Lawson isn't running the pick and roll with Willie Cauley-Stein, he's not doing anything. So how do you put him in the game with DeMarcus Cousins? Because they're not going to run a pick and roll while DeMarcus Cousins is in the game. And so there are all of these things that Dave Yeager is trying to piece together this giant puzzle you know, he's found two pieces that work really well together. And so he's letting those guys be the second unit. And then he's got these other pieces that are working well together or maybe not working well together. And they need to figure out how to work them better together. But it, it's it all comes down to a lot of it is that you don't have all of the pieces to the puzzle. The dog ate one of the pieces or one fell on the ground and it went down a vent. Something happened or you just never got it. The box came without... It came with 999 out of 1,000 pieces. It's just not all there. And, I mean, while I don't think that he's done, like, a perfect job, I also know that they've been in almost every game. They're highly competitive. Even their last, what, the only game that they lost badly was the Houston Rockets game. Outside of that, it's probably five losses within 15 points total. We've had this um, discussion on other places, but – None of these guys are bad coaches. The, in the, at the NBA level, it's very rare to find a bad coach. 
And um, it's all just degrees of difference, you know, and, and it's the money decisions that get made, you know, for teams that are in the playoffs, it's the money decisions. Like, are you Eric Spolstra? You're going to play Mike Bibby when you probably should play Mario Chalmers. UK, you lose the finals. You know, you're Scott Brooks. You want to play Kendrick Perkins and you are up against Miami Heat and he's got nobody to cover and nothing to do. You lose the finals. Those are big decisions that dictate whether or not those guys did a good job in that particular situation. Is Scott Brooks a great coach? Yes. Is um, uh, Eric Spolstra a great coach? Yes. All these guys are great coaches. It's the difference in, in, you know, we could have a difference of opinion in whether or not this talent is capable of winning X amount of games. That's all fine. The question of Mark, DeMarcus Cousins' development, you're going to slap $200 million, the, small, the GDP of a small nation, on yes. this guy. And now all of a sudden these become big decisions. You know, playing an offense that might cater to DeMarcus Cousins' preferences as, how, as far as how he plays the game of basketball might end up costing you five to 10 years or for however long that, you know, you are around as the coach of the Sacramento Kings. But the, um, this becomes, this, this is a larger issue of he is, if he's winning, he's learning. If he's, you know, you, you see Garrett Temple chirping in his ear about how to handle situations. And when Garrett Temple does something good and the Kings do something good, and then DeMarcus does something good and it all kind of sets in and he has that positive feedback loop. That's good. When he goes out on the perimeter, flings it, flings it into the other team's hands because it's not working. And then he gets frustrated because he doesn't think he's getting a call. And then something bad happens. These are negative steps for him. And so. But we are schemes, still talking about a six foot 11 center that that's basically over his last 25 games averaging almost seven assists a game i mean but you know what he's those doing are misleading some... but those are misleading statistics eh, they're not rondo they're not rondo assists no i'm not that. saying they're not good passes what i'm saying is like how how are these assists occurring a lot you know, of them are him drawing a double team and kicking it to a wide open guy who hits a shot on a dribble like yeah on a dribble drop whatever yeah there are good plays within the context of this particular deployment but they don't they, every single time, even if he, you know, fakes somebody off of his rocker, you know, crossover and, you know, dribbles in, draws the help, kicks it out to a corner three. That's an ideal play in that offense. Or he gets the ball at the high post and he's able to get the cutter a la Nikola Jokic and get a nice easy bucket in space for a guard that's, you know, basically got nobody underneath the rim to contest the shot. That's an ideal shot in that in that offense. And these things do occur. But. Every single time he lines up at that elbow, the opposing coach goes, thank God, because yeah. I'm not I'm not going to have to deal with my big men fouling out. I'm not going to have to deal with this guy taking 16 foul shots in a game. I'm not going to have to deal with the fact that he's starting to get into a rhythm, the open threes that are generated off of that, all that stuff that they have nightmares about. They, they just go, oh, well, thank you very much. You want to sit out there and take threes? You want to sit out there and stand at the three-point line and, and survey the court as – you know, they look for, for long twos with Aaron Aflalo or long twos with Darren Collison or whatever that other option may be. They love that. They absolutely eat it up. So, again, back to the DeMarcus Cousins thing is you have to have him experience some level of success sitting here and saying, well, everybody's injured and all this. I mean, for, for my money, the Rudy Gay injury was not a huge needle mover, as evidenced by the way that they played immediately after that. Garrett Temple, yes, absolutely. That's a big deal. 
you know, the, the lack of depth in general has been a big deal. Yeah, but when you it. start to accumulate, it, it does hurt. It does I hurt. Think it, I think the Garrett Temple thing hurts, and I think that you also have some young kids on the bench that could play more like 15, 20 minutes and, um, you know, start to cover up the gaps with that. But again, it's just deployment. <laughs> it's deployment. If you, if you I, put I him hear down you. there. I hear you, but at the same time, like, you, you get one game out of Ben McLemore. Do I got to throw like, the brewski guarantee down? Because like, that thing hits every single time. Well, I'm just telling the you. The brewski guarantee is showing up on uh, on Wednesday. Oh, tonight. That's tonight. You're going to drop 60 on him. He's not dropping 60 on him. <laughs> Isaiah, he's not dropping 60. I'm not going to. Well, I'd hate to take the odds on that. but um, He hasn't no, done I, it. He hasn't I'm done it. I'm just saying, you know, him. you throw him in the post, they the whole thing changes. That's the brewski guarantee. Somebody prove it wrong. We don't have to worry about it on Wednesday night because DeMarcus Cousins is suspended. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to point out a couple of things really quick. Uh, number one, everyone says uh, Cousins makes mistakes down the stretch and it costs the team, and he doesn't pass down the stretch. He, he gets too aggressive. Uh, he actually set up Darren Collison for the game-tying shot against the Suns. Collison hit a, what, like 12-footer on the baseline that tied the game, uh, and then the Devin Booker thing happened. Um, for those of you who say DeMarcus Cousins is crazy and the refs don't call things, uh, and that he, he, the ref thing is a figment of his imagination, I will point out that Steve Kerr, with 3.36 left in the third quarter of the Golden State game, got called for what should have been a double tech, but instead they hit him with one technical foul and an instant ejection. Uh, which was weird because they actually, I think Draymond picked up a tech in that deal as well. And so they only got two shots instead of three. Um, but from the 334, 336 mark, whatever, of the third quarter until overtime, the first 15 seconds of overtime, not a single foul call against the Golden State Warriors. The entire fourth quarter, not a single foul call. <laughs> the after weirdest the game I've ever seen. Man. Now, I, like again, I want to tell you that Demarcus Cousins is crazy, and none of anything that he says makes any sense about the official officiating not being fair to him. But when you see an NBA team go eighteen of uh, fifteen and a half minutes without a single foul call, and you have Demarcus Cousins going at the rim. I, I hate to tell you that that there is no way that that makes any sense at all. And the two-minute report, there is no two-minute report from the Chicago game because at 2.01, Chicago went up by six, and so there's no two-minute report. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm not saying like conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. What I'm saying is that if you're him and you see all of these things and you go, oh my gosh, the accumulation of what's happened here is painful. Uh, But at the same time, I'll just to clarify a couple of things. We did discuss it last week on the podcast, but when we never published a podcast, the Phoenix Suns trade rumor, of course, has been debunked by the Sacramento Kings. Uh, They met with Cousins last Thursday. I know that for a fact. Vlade and the team met with him and his representation and made it very clear that there there is no change in direction. The Kings intend to sign him to a monster deal in the first couple of days of July as soon as the new CBA uh, is put into effect. So any trade rumors are nothing but rumors and falsehoods, uh, fake news. Um, <laughs> yes, fake news. Uh, so 
Um, so again, we're just going to have to let this thing play out, but, uh, it's been a rough week because the yo-yo season of the Sacramento Kings, it's, it, it won't go away. And one night they can beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. The two nights later, they can drop a game to Indiana that they completely own. They can come back and beat Charlotte the next night. And then two days later, lose to the Philadelphia 76ers. They can beat the Phoenix, the the Golden State Warriors on one night, but lose to the Phoenix Suns the night before. This is the 2016-17 Sacramento Kings. It will not change the whole way out. Uh, If you're pulling for the eighth seed, you're pulling for five or six other teams to have a similar experience down the stretch if you're going to have any chance. And at three and a half games out, and no DeMarcus Cousins, so four, four and a half games out after Wednesday night if they lose, um, I think you start making plans for uh, for April 15th, like you can start planning your vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, um, th- this is a critical time for them. They got to definitely pull it together and, and, and get things cleaned up. Um, but I, I, I guess I'll segue into my final thoughts here because we're probably getting to that point. Yeah. Is, um, you know, I'm a big DeMarcus Cousins fan because I see his um, his passion and, and I see it the way it gets channeled and and I see the um you know the 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 how it get, how it goes off track and you know I, I think inside there's you know a real good guy that's that's definitely um you know he he's caring too much if you will and you see this all over you know with people and so you know I'm rooting for him because I think his intentions are good and I think that the one way he beats this is if he accepts the fact that it is what it is and he just gets out there and he puts his head down and he follows the lead of guys like Der- uh, Garrett Temple and Anthony Tolliver and what he has done this year I might add and 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 in no small doses either I mean he has had workmanlike efforts out there where he has not spoken to the referees it felt like and if he does that I think he finds what he's looking for in terms of wins and losses and the experience that he wants in the NBA, he's just got to kind of let go of the steering wheel and say, you know what, I've been doing it my way this this whole time. It's not working. I'm going to try this thing that I'm sure countless people have told him to do, and um, you know, and just trust that it's going to work out. And he was on his way. And this again, you got to, you know, if you're the Kings, you cannot let him relapse by putting him in bad positions. So that's what I would focus on if I'm the Sacramento Kings is optimize his success. Okay, here are my final thoughts, Aaron Bruski. DeMarcus Cousins on Tuesday night decided to deactivate his Twitter and Instagram accounts. And to me, I've seen him do this a couple of times over his career, and it becomes the biggest moment for him that is possible. He, When he does this and he lets that stuff go away and stops like surrounding himself with the negativity and the hate that happens to him on social media. Whether you love him or you hate him, I hate to tell you this, his feed is brutal. And in today's day and age where whoever wants to say whatever gets to say whatever, whether, you know, uh, it's this is huge this is huge for him that dude has lived in a fishbowl since he was 15 years old 
he lets the negative in, which is something he's got to get better at. Shutting off all of the people out there that have horrible things to say to him is a huge step for DeMarcus Cousins, and I hope that he continues it all the way through the season. I don't know that that will be the case because anytime he's done this, he's gone on to have some of the best weeks of his career, and I'm really hoping that this is a permanent thing for him uh, where he can put that stuff to the side and not read it, not listen to it, not be part of it, not feel it because, man, it is absolutely brutal for a guy like this. So, uh, Aaron, nothing else? You're good? No, no. Everybody just be cool to one another. You know, that that's all I got. <laughs> be be good to one another as as our country is in complete chaos. So <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I'm like, can I get off social media? That seems kind of cool. <laughs> uh yeah, there are plenty of times where I'm like, oh man, I'd really like to be off social media. I, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. So uh all right, so that's gonna do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. Uh, we will be back. I- I'm going to try to pull something off this week and get you two podcasts to make up for last week's podcast missing. Um, I- I'm working on a player, something cool, something different uh, with a- with a player, and so hopefully we can we can get that in the bucket here in the next couple of days. Uh, but it- it's going to be up and down, folks. Just uh, you know, keep your head down and and don't get too high. Never too high. Never too low. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We will see you very soon. 